welcome back, uh, my dear listeners, to episode eight. And uh, looks like we're coming up very close on to ten soon uh, of Inside the System, and then special things are coming. And this is the Twitter space for where I interview your favorite creators and help you get an inside peek at how they grow their personal brands. Whether you're a seasoned creator or you're just dying out, I want this to be the ultimate resource for anyone looking to achieve greater success in building their personal brand. And joining me today is Patrick, who's a close friend and an amazing storyteller. He's shifted from his 20-year Hollywood career as a screenwriter, and now he's building his personal brand to help you become the most prosperous version of yourself by applying epic uh, storytelling into your life. So today, expect today's episode to be full of uh, experiences and stories that Patrick has went through. Uh, but before we begin, I'll take a moment to explain the format as usual to for any new listeners. In the first part of the episode, I'll uh, I'll ask uh, Patrick a bunch of questions, and then in the last 20, 30 minutes, I'll invite you guys on to ask any questions you might have. So feel free to write them down and wait for that moment. Now let's dive right in. Patrick, thank you for being here today. I'm honored to have you on as my guest. This has been in the works for a while now. So could you please take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience and share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I have been a storyteller for arguably my whole life. And I went to Hollywood when I was 20, uh, dropped out of college. Um, my father had died and I decided I couldn't stay in Michigan anymore. So I went out to New York City to work at a company called Good Machine. They were working with Ang Lee, who uh, made Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So very soon I found myself in an office opening Ang Lee's mail, um, reading a lot of screenplays. And when that company folded, I started to work for Wes Anderson, who ran a company called American Empirical Pictures. And he's a world famous filmmaker. Many of you may know who he is. And then uh, I started working for a spate of producers like uh, Scott Rudin, Scott Rudin Productions, Oscar-winning producer. Then he, uh, then I got fired from there. That's actually an interesting story. Um, then I worked for Vanity Fair magazine as the assistant to the editor in chief, which is kind of like the quintessence of art, media, and um, just kind of what what a New York people would call the gallery set. And uh, then I went to L.A. to work for a company called Focus Features as the person that buys movies for them, um, you know, goes to festivals and kind of scouts out indies that, you know, things that we think would be interesting and work with their mandate and budget level, which was about 20 to 30 million. Um, but after that, I, I quit that job and started becoming a screenwriter created in my drive-on path for a shovel. I worked on construction sites. I was an extra. I was a waiter. I did every odd job imaginable, but took all those uh, experiences and rolled them into um, writing. And so the first several screenplays that I wrote were very bad. Huh. And then they started getting good kind of on their own. And I found that all I needed to do was show up every day and do the work, and they got better. And then I finally sold one to Lionsgate for a lot of money and randomly was asked by uh, somebody who was not my agent at the time to come to Africa to shoot a movie about the HIV AIDS epidemic in the country of Lesotho. 
which I did. And uh, that took up a couple years of my life and was a very impactful film. It was basically a propaganda picture to try to get native doctors back to the country because uh, Lesotho being surrounded by South Africa was experiencing a kind of brain drain. You know, imagine uh, just being able to cross a border and get paid 10 times as much for the work that you're doing. But, you know, back home, one in three people had HIV AIDS and the population was literally dying out and would be gone completely in about 25 years if they didn't get more doctors. So that was very impactful and that really changed my mind about the power of storytelling and like really what it could do. Because before I was just in the business of engineering catharsis. That's kind of what you do as a, a writer, director. Um, you create moments for the audience to have that big aha. Um, but this is the first time that I saw and touched situation where it could change lives. And so that really changed my perspective on storytelling. I made uh, some more movies that you've never seen. Um, and then I ran out of money uh, trying to make my indie indie film, um, which is still in the works and became a recruiter for several years. I'm not even sure what that means, but it basically has to do with calling people and seeing if they want to work for a company that maybe they don't know about or care about and luring them away from <laughs> their usually high paying job to another high paying job. And finally, after doing that for a few years, I got fired for the last time. And now I am doing this. And this means I have created a paradigm and I'm building it in public. And that paradigm has to do with taking the magic of storytelling and applying it to your own life. Um, so you can create better, what I call choice points to reveal better realities for yourself. Um, I just want to check in because I've just done a lot of talking. Are you still with me? Yeah, yeah. No, it's all good, Patrick. It's all good. Okay. And uh, I was going to say, like, you have such an extensive uh, background and experience. I could, I know for sure if we tapped into each of those areas, we can probably host one space and go in depth in each of those. Um, right. But I know, I know we're limited on time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you about something that we did have a chat about in the DMs first. And you touched upon here, which is about your film and doc documentary in Africa and how that went. Can you dive deeper into that and the lessons you've taken from there and how that shaped your experience? Yeah, so at that point, uh, I was a young, hot writer on the make, and I was getting in, getting in hard rooms. And what that means in the Hollywood parlance is that when you're a baby writer coming up, you're not going to be able to get meetings with actual producers. You're going to get meetings with their assistants and development executives. And that usually leads nowhere. But uh, after my sale, I was recognized as a screenwriter who could write and deliver the goods. Because one of the things is you can have great ideas all day, but if you don't execute perfectly at an industry grade level, nobody cares. Like if you bring a script to 95% of its capacity, they will hire somebody to do the last 5% for you and put their name on it. So you really have to be confident in your skills to meet that professional bar. 
And so I was at that point. So I was really psyched about life. And uh, a friend of mine just called me and said, hey, man, uh, this this woman who is in a post-grad situation in Lesotho for Boston University wants to make a film for something called the Laboha Project, which is a non-governmental organization that's designed to uh, get uh, health workers to rural villages in this country, Lesotho. And he said, you should do it. And I said, all right, sure. Um, no money, but they would pay for my plane ticket. And I told my agent about it and she said, oh, that sounds really nice. Like, was not into it at all. But I decided uh, to go. And on the way, I read a book called Mountains Beyond Mountains by Dr. Paul Farmer who is probably the greatest hero of world health. May he rest in peace. Like he eradicated TB from Haiti, from Siberian prisons. Like he's been all over the world setting up global health systems. He's a economist and a medical doctor. And so um, that got me into the, into it. And so my cinematographer and I just went around the country for a month interviewing people. Um, I went to hospitals with people with multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. Um, I interviewed the minister of health. I met with the king and queen, uh, talked to a lot of people and got the, got a real sense of, you know, the, the length of the problem. I even interviewed the guy who makes coffins in the capital city and he was the richest guy around. So just to show you the extent of how, you know, how dire the situation has gotten. And um, finally, one day, I was able to meet the man, Paul Farmer, on the tarmac for five minutes and get my camera set up just before I lost light um, and interview him. And so my, I think my proudest moment of the movie is when I interviewed Paul Farmer, because after I read that book, he became a personal hero of mine. And Boston University isn't like that because they're always competing for grant money with Harvard University, which... Uh, Dr. Paul Farmer is affiliated with. So I had to fight to keep him in the movie. I basically said, you know, if he goes, you don't have a movie. I'm going to pull the project. Uh, I have all the footage, like come and get it. But uh, I stuck to my guns and uh, made the movie a little under a year later, year and a half uh, with Paul Farmer in it. And then it is now part of the curriculum at Boston University, and it is known in Southern Africa, um, University of Blumfontein, and in Lesotho. And that changed my life. That made me totally blown away by the power of what stories could do. I had people calling me for years and telling me that they've seen that movie. And uh, I had doctors calling me saying, this is the reason why I moved back home, uh, to take care of my own people. And... You know, the I, I had been looking at the death curves in Lesotho, out, you know, in the years following, and it and it leveled off. And so I can't really say that a movie did all that. It's the doctors that did that, but the the film got the doctors there and got them back. And so that was the part that I thought was pretty magical. That's an amazing story, Patrick. And it's crazy when you hear like the details of behind the scenes and what's going on. And for most of us, we're just watching a documentary, but we don't know how much issues the person or you, the team I've run into to get that in place. And even the, the idea of the power of storytelling and how you 
realize its effects. And that kind of moves me on to another question, which is how can we understand the true power of stories and how they uh, affect, or rather, how do they give justice to events or campaigns or projects or whatever, like the true power of stories? Well, um, you know, in the world of Twitter, you see a lot of people uh, talking about storytelling. Storytelling seems to be a very hot topic. And people say, I want this thing called storytelling. And a lot of people maybe have read a book <clears throat> called Storyworthy. I have not read it. Um, I've heard that what it's about is um, realizing that you have stories to tell. And I say, you know, sure, that sounds very intuitive. But the issue is uh, how to do that in a way that captivates an audience. And to me, the way to do it is you always go towards something personal or embarrassing. Like if you feel that you're not touching any of that, like you're just, you're relating a story and it doesn't move you in any particular way, then it's probably not going to move other people. Um, there's a rule that we used to, uh, we, I, I think I used to have this on my wall at some point. And it is, if you try to write for everybody, you're going to appeal to nobody. If you try to write for yourself, you're going to appeal to everybody. That means if you're trying to communicate something, the purpose of a communication is the response that it gets. And so you should try to make yourself um, happy and it should be interesting to you. If it's interesting to you, you'll have a much better chance of communicating whatever that idea is to other people. And whether it's a, um, a post or a thread or a piece of long writing or something in a newsletter or a longer form book, you know, that you're, that you're thinking about writing. Um, all you got to do is make sure to keep dramatic tension up. And the way to do that is through cliffhangers. I mean, I could go into it, but is, did that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think what I'll do is I'll leave any specific part of the, for the listeners in the Q and A, if they wanted you to dive deeper into what okay. that looks like for them. Um, tell me about the, what's going on with your pin tweet, because that's definitely interesting. It looks like you're making some sort of mini movie uh, in, your, in your tweets uh, with this space cat and these gates of Inotia. What's that all about? And what's the, ambition behind this? Yeah, so um, my brand is story changing and story changing is about changing your own life story, right? Like we're all born with stories. And some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are very bad. You know, like if you're born with a story that says I'm bad with people, that story is going to carry around. You're going to carry that around uh, for your entire life until you work that out, until you prove to yourself that you are perhaps good with people. Like maybe not naturally, but you can create the conditions necessary to be good with people. And then you're going to see choice points develop that are better. Um, like for instance, if you're not 
your choice on a Saturday night is probably going to be, okay, I can uh, water my plants or play Counter-Strike. But if you decide that, okay, I'm, I am going to change my story around sociability, you can say, okay, I'm going to go out with friends or I'm going to go out alone. Um, and so you get different, better choice points. Like uh, one of the premises of how I help people change stories is helping them realize that you cannot control what happens. Uh, you cannot control outcomes, but you can control the choices that you make through your free will, right? And so this little story that's on my pinned tweet is a laboratory to kind of get into choice points. Like it's a story that I'm creating on Twitter and I don't know what form it's going to take uh, it might become part of some blockchain or NFT project. I have no idea, but I'm just interested in the power of storytelling. So I'm going to make sure that it evolves. But the crux of it is, as you'll notice when you read the tiny little bite-sized piece, that a choice has to be made. And it's not necessarily a good choice or a bad choice. It's just a choice. And then so people that respond, I want them to write a little what they think should happen with an understanding, you know, that it uh, changes the course of the story. And then the choice point that's the best, I'll write that into the next part of the story. And the chain keeps, the chain is linked and uh, keeps moving. And I basically want to see if I can crowdsource an awesome story doing that. That's definitely an interesting project. I don't think I've heard of anyone utilizing Twitter in that way and creating that interactive element to it so it forms and shapes itself. There's definitely a lot of potential there. So I look forward to seeing how that develops. You know, on the point that you mentioned about narrative and how that shapes and affects you and the stories you tell yourself, when it comes to creators and like how can they use this strategies that you've picked up from your experiences and on that point to craft content that depicts what they want the, the stories that they truly want to tell themselves and not um, false stories or let's say stories that don't display them in the way they want to be displayed basically that's an interesting question uh, the stories you tell can be boring, like I went to the grocery store. Or you could say, wow, you will never guess what happened when I went to the grocery store. I pulled in with my car and I saw this guy. He was 6'5", 280 pounds. And you see how the first one is kind of boring and the next one pulls you in. Um, anytime you tell a story verbally or with words, you want to create a sense of immediacy and you do that with punchy language and a good hook, right? And if you have a good hook, the audience is going to listen and then you can get on to the next part. And I think most of the people, <clears throat> you know, at least on, on money Twitter, they're trying to create stories where the punchline or the chase or the, you know, the, the third act break, involves somebody pressing a pay now button, right? And so in that case, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a story um, 
And stories are just polarities, right? It's, a, it's getting from point A to point B. There's a <clears throat> Aristotle, who I think was probably the best storyteller in human history. He said that all a story is, is you take a protagonist, you chase them up a tree, you throw rocks at them, and then let them down. And so that kind of describes the three-act structure of a narrative story. But to transpose that into a story that you want to use to sell something, you lay out, after the hook, you lay out what the reality, what reality would look like without your solution. So let's say you're selling water. You talk about the desert. You talk about how horrible the desert is. You talk about how that desert is 110 degrees and how the oasis is miles away and how without water, you're going to die. And maybe, you know, you talk about the legions of people that have uh, not made it before without this magical drink called water with, with its crystal cool, uh, satiating, you know, aroma free. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And you really get deep into what life looks like without your solution. The, de the desert of the real, as Morpheus called it in The Matrix. <clears throat> and then, then you deliver your solution. So I would say you should have at least three beats of describing the problem or describing the world without your solution. That's another way to put it. And only then when you're almost like sweaty from writing whatever horribleness that is, then you talk about, the, only then do you talk about the solution. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Uh, I actually like the line. I wrote that down, that what reality would look like without your offer. And I love the way you kind of went about it to explain it. I can never, the visuals that you've given in your sto story example uh, for water was actually quite funny. Uh, but but I, love it. I love how you painted that picture. You know, uh, many of us feel like, uh, at least for me, I can say this is true. Sometimes you feel like events that occur from whether that's day-to-day -day life or just random things, even in a story that you want to kind of tell, feel mundane. Uh, you're, you're thinking, should I even bother to include that? So my question is a kind of a two-part two question where it's, can the mundane be turned into something interesting? And how do you go about doing that? Oh, it sure can. I mean, so for instance, I am in Missouri in the United States. I drove here probably around 2,000 miles uh, to visit a friend who's getting their house set up. And they have a garden. And I'm going to do some gardening. Now, that probably doesn't sound terribly exciting, but if I reframe it, I say I'm going to dig in the dirt and I'm going to use my huh, fledgling ability as a gardener to try to bring life back into this place. Um, so the easy answer is you just reframe stuff. Um, you, you, you stay on the lookout for interesting things that can happen and you reframe things. But some of the problem is, is people don't give themselves enough space for interesting things to happen in their lives. Like you get up, like 
if you live in an apartment, you, you know, get some coffee, maybe you go downstairs to get your coffee and then you start working and then you eat and then you sleep and then you repeat. So what you have to do is you have to build pattern interrupts into your schedule where you are creating moments that you would not usually, where you do things that you would not usually do. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're, you're trying to kind of force interesting moments into your life. Yes. And the way that you can tell if you're doing this right is that it feels a little uncomfortable. And so I recently wrote a guide about how to get infinite inspiration for less and less effort. And what that means is if you're trying to write any, anything that has punch, anything that has grit or soul to it, you will need to create the space in your life whereby excitement happens. And it can be very easy to do that, but all you have to do is you have to just move a little bit toward your fear or barring that, just do the opposite of the thing that you would usually do. And you can start small. Like for instance, if you get coffee in your house, go out and get coffee in the corner. And if you get coffee on the corner and there's an attractive waitress that you want to chat up, um, maybe do it. And if you already have that rapport, maybe ask for her number. Maybe take the long way home uh, through the neighborhood that you never really go to. Maybe walk. Talk to people that you've never met. Um, you know, if you live by a natural surrounding such as a mountain climate, like you cannot tell interesting stories without living life. And we very much get locked into our patterns with, and the, the only way you can actually find out that if you're locked into a pattern is to have an assessment where you look at your life from the third person, from the creator standpoint. And this is what I teach in my, <clears throat> in my paradigm. It's basically you want to be the creator of your life story, not the main character. Because the main character is held up like a marionette with strings by the creator. Like if you watch any movie, read any book, you're reading an interesting story with a main character in it. But that main character, they don't even know that they're in a story. They don't know that there's some author out there that created them. So what I'm saying is you can phase shift between main character and creator of your life story. And if you're in the creator mode, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, my life story is pretty boring. I don't know if anybody would care. Then you got to mix things up. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And, it, you know, when you articulated it, it's funny how you start realizing that in order to have stories, all you have to do is grow. And when I think back, there hasn't been a story that's uh, not captivated me. Or should I say captivated me that hasn't had growth in it. The, the most captivating part is seeing like the hero's journey, which is a typical thing that people would say and seeing that growth unfold, the, the polarizing kind or polar opposites of the, the journey as the person gets to the outcome. So I can see that definitely. So disrupting the pattern and stories of growth. Have I understood it? Would you say? Yes. So there's definitely a lot of mention about the hero's journey out there as well as storytelling. That's kind of becoming hot on its heels. So the hero's journey, all the hero's journey is, 
is an energetic progression from one life state to another. And usually that's like, we'll say, if, if you keep with the polarities, like a state of ignorance to the state to a state of understanding, a state of weakness to a state of health, um, a state of poverty to a state of wealth. Those are other polarities. And so you'll notice that polarity is very large energetically. It's not like uh, <laughs> the state of not having coffee to the state of having coffee. Um, and, you know, that would be a very boring story uh, to watch or to pay 10 bucks for. You want to watch the story where the protagonist has to go through a lot of shit to get a huge goal. And the reason why we like those stories is because we like that in our own lives. And that's why we like Marvel movies, for instance, because they've got all this theatrics. But underneath it, it's a hero's journey story where we get to watch actual heroes do very big things and move through uh, adversity and pain and fear, need blocks, insecurity, shame, etc., to get something big or to bring something back to the people. And I think the creator's journey on Twitter is pretty similar. Um, I mean, Twitter is just a platform, but what I mean is you are all undergoing hero's journey. And so you're trying to get your message to the people, right? And to do that, you have to move through your own hero's journey. You have to move through your own character arc. Um, like, for instance, mine was, you know, I spent a lot of time writing stuff for other people and getting kind of suckered into arrangements that were not in my best interest. And it wasn't until I said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care what anybody says. Did, uh, like, that's when the movie in Africa appeared. So I think the hero's journey is the most interesting path for any human to possibly take and it is the surest path to self-actualization and the way to know that you're on it is that you're being challenged and you're facing what feels like your greatest fear does that all make sense i know i said a mouthful there but i could talk about the hero's journey all day yeah no it, it made sense man. I, I love your explanation of um these you're coming at it from a different angle so i knew you're the person to ask for this stuff the stuff i see on twitter especially when it's the hero's journey uh, it's mostly people who just kind of surface level read it and then posted about it i think they understand it but i knew that you'd be someone who'd understand it on a deeper level and i can tell you have more to say about it um your your path and your like your career path alone seems like a culmination of your own hero's journey, right? What were like defining moments that um, helped shape your thinking on storytelling? I know you talked about the documentary, but were there any other uh, moments where you thought okay, like you understood the power of storytelling or anything to be fair that you want to share as a defining moment that shaped you? <laughs> well, one of them, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of it. I worked for a super producer named Scott Rudin, who's been making movies for, well, I don't know, 30 years, made a bunch of Oscar winners, movies that you've heard of, like The Truman Show and The Firm and There Will Be Blood and all sorts of stuff. And uh, 
I was really unhappy. Like the job, it's like you get there at six, you leave at nine, and he's just a screamer. He just yells at, yells at everybody for the smallest things. Like one time, I got him the wrong the wrong screenplay to read. And, you know, after running into his office and then running back out, he's like, hey, come back in here. This is not what I wanted. Am I speaking fucking Urdu? And, you know, he just, you know, he's just a bad guy. He screams at people. If you look this guy up, you'll see all sorts of stories of him abusing assistants. And uh, one day I got the task to stuff envelopes for a nonprofit that he ran in New York. And it was about bringing opera to Long Island or something. But what it's about is not important. I was just very flustered, frustrated, and kind of feeling like I was on the wrong path. And so I stuffed the envelopes and passed them off. And those were going to be letters that he was going to send to donors to solicit money for that particular musical season. And so I had a dream that that night that uh, I didn't match the names of the people on the outside of the envelope with the salutations on the inside of the envelope. By that, I mean, hello, Mr. Katz. You know, and on the outside of the envelope, it would be like Meryl Streep. And so a lot of these were very, very big people. Like Bill Clinton was on the list. Movie stars were on the list. Um, Tom Cruise, Sidney Pollack, and I woke up and noticed in my nightmare that I did not bother to check and see if the names were the same on the inside, uh, on the letters and on the envelopes. And so I thought there's no way I could have possibly made that mistake. No way. And sure enough, a few days later, I get a call when I'm out of the office and it's the boss, it's Scott. And having... Scott call you when it's outside of the office is like waking up with a python in your bed. And uh, like, I've got Scott for you. I'm like, oh shit, okay. Just screaming, what the fuck did you do? I'm getting calls left and right. People saying they got the wrong letter. You're fired. And so that's how I got fired from Scott Rudin Productions. And that moment actually got me in front of keyboard to actually start writing because I said you know what I don't want to be a studio executive these people are miserable this life is miserable I want to be a creator and so that's an example of another uh, story <laughs> that that was a defining turning point uh, you know in in my I guess creators heroes journey structure I, I love it man and it's crazy because we watch these movies, but we don't know what's like really happening behind the scenes and the pressure that some of the workers will be going through. So you sharing that adds to the appreciation of the the hustle and the craziness that's going on there too. So I appreciate you sharing that. And man, you writing on uh, Twitter right now is probably benefiting us all, all um, more than we know, especially the detailed threads that you be coming up with. So I appreciate that. And yeah, I wanted to open you. up the space for uh, the floor for Q&As. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to request and ask your questions to Patrick. If you want to leave a comment as a question and you don't feel like speaking, do that. And I'll check that and I'll 
read it out, Patrick. So feel free to request. Meanwhile, I have another question for you, Patrick. And that is, okay. what is the most important uh, piece of advice you'd give your to creators or, or to your former self when it comes to storytelling, when you reflect on, on the years of experience that you've had so far? Wow. Um, it's, it's tough because I could, I'll, I'll say it, right? But it's not inherently actionable. And that is be true to yourself. Now, if I give you that advice, be true to yourself, there are some people that are going to understand what that means. And there are other people like me who wouldn't be able to do anything with that because like my story is kind of unique. I was adopted um, when I was two. So I have this weird thing where I'm like, not sure who I am. Uh, I felt like a chameleon have sort of looked at life from these odd outsider angles. So whenever somebody said, be yourself, I, I didn't know what that meant, but I guess the, a different way to put it that is actually actionable is to chase truth, no matter how uncomfortable it is. So a use case for that could be like you, you want to make your brand around AI, right? You, you say, I can help people tell better stories using AI. And then after getting into it, you realize that uh, AI can't really tell that great of a story. They all seem a little manufactured in a way that you just can't put your finger on. And maybe they have a place in the pipeline of the creative process, but maybe not. You're not sure. And you built your entire brand around this. So the advice I would give to that person is don't be afraid to pivot. Don't be afraid to think about it in a different way. Maybe you're not the AI guy. Maybe you're, maybe you're now the anti-AI guy. So the process of self-discovery is iterative and it requires you to move toward truth at any given point, no matter how uncomfortable that is. And if you do that and work diligently, you will not fail. If I haven't noticed this before, but I don't hear people talking about failure stories and then stopping there without a twist for like a win. There's always an element of a win or like a transformation. Can you have like a story where there's no win? It's just a pure failure story. And can that be attractive or captivating to read at any point? Absolutely not. That's illegal in money Twitter. If you do that, you're going to get <laughs> zero followers in five days or your money back. No. Um, I think some of the most compelling stories are, stories of failure. So in that case, the polarity is inverted, right? It's one to zero. So you can tell a story of failure because I mean, honestly, what is, what is success? It's just stepping stones or a, or a gigantic spiral staircase of failures that finally led you to that one good idea. Like, Success is built on a mountain of bad ideas, right? A mountain of half-baked stuff, uh, concepts that sort of didn't work very well. And going through and talking about how you failed is very compelling. 
as long as you use the hero's journey structure, right? As long as you say, oh, I, you know, this is the moment when I was supposed to be a big shot. Like I have a lot of those, right? After I sold my first thing, I thought, I thought I was going to get all these deals opening up for me. And instead I took a complete detour in my career that arguably a lot of people would say was a mistake. So to answer your question, I think that failure is relative, but stories that elucidate failure, especially how it personally affected you, I think are quite touching. And I think people can relate to that because at the end of the day, you're trying to relate to people, right? And I, I forget who said this quote. I think it's been attributed to Warren Buffett and all sorts of other people, maybe even Mahatma Gandhi. But the winner has failed more times than the loser has ever tried is the quote. And so, yeah, I think that any kind of story is compelling. Um, but especially if you're on a path to try to, of, of self-betterment, yeah, fail, failure stories are interesting. Just tell them well. Thank you uh, for answering that, Patrick. I appreciate that. You know, you, you referenced to Aristotle a lot for being like the origin storyteller and frameworks. I never ever thought of Aristotle as that guy. Um, so I'm definitely going to check out the book that you referenced. It's very interesting. It's the first time I've heard about it. Yeah, it's not a bad book. It can be arcane in places, but I found it to be the easiest sort of interpretable primer on what makes drama, what, what drama actually is. You know, because a lot of people yeah. don't know what it actually is. And it is drawing tension and ping-ponging through polarities to create greater tension um, in an energetic sense. And that's all it is. That's all we're doing out here by telling stories. I'll be sure to check it out. Thank you for the recommendation, Patrick. Uh, this is something I've been thinking about. I was actually talking to a friend uh, about probably three weeks ago. And I like seeing plot twists in uh, movies and shows. And I also like seeing the randomness of going uh, off what the or like the watcher or the viewer is expecting. Can I incorporate plot twists into my writing and thread writing storytelling as well? How would I, how would you advise going about that? If that's even possible? Um, oh, absolutely. Like if you look on my page on the pin tweet, what you will see is a little piece of a little story that ends in a cliffhanger that I wrote to be, in preparation for a plot twist, right? And so when you have a cliffhanger, the structure is cliffhanger twist, right? And so in that case, basically the story that's on my pinned tweet is about a couple people that I like to think of that are idiots. They had a dimensional gate open up in their world. And so that's like the hero's journey uh, stage of, it, it's called, entering the special world, right? From your ordinary world. So they accidentally destroy this dimensional gate and it destroys their world. It literally sucks all the trees through this gate and spits them out in some weird dimension, like a hose, like a garden hose. And so the story beat that I ended on was, okay, they've done this. They've been sucked through the special world. What happens now? 
you just destroyed your world. And so that's essentially a plot twist, right? Like we didn't see that coming. And all a plot twist is, is we didn't see that coming. And the way to create a plot twist that is believable is again, know the world that you're in, make sure it's congruent with the world that you're in. Um, like for instance, if you're pitching the AI thing, like I thought AI was going to be able to write all my stories for me. Plot twist, it sucked. <laughs> or it created uh, a story that was predictable, saccharine, and boring. So I could have said that as AI is predictable and boring, but no, the way you separate that out between a cliffhanger and a plot twist is, so I sat down to create my first AI masterpiece. Guess what happened next? Dot, dot, dot. And then you come in with, it sucked, period, space. <laughs> it was the most boring thing I've ever created. And so that part is the plot twist. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the art is in seeing, uh, like you said, knowing your the world, uh, the context that you're telling that story and, and kind of seeing how it fits in, in the picture. That's definitely where I can see I'll be spending most of my time trying to figure out. Yeah. And the way to do that, you know what I like to read to do that is detective fiction from the 1940s. Um, like Dashiell Hammett books. Those are very, very filled with cliffhangers. Like, and the detective whipped out his gun. Uh-oh, no bullets. You know, it's moments like that. Uh, but they're all very well executed and they're designed to turn pages. So that's all you basically want. You just want to lead the reader or whoever's interacting your story to the next story beat the next word, the next sentence, the next paragraph, whatever it is, everything you do is trying to lead the person down the path that you have made for them. Thank you for that, Patrick. I've got one more from me, and then if any of the audience has any others. So this is a, uh, this one's personally for me, so I'm, I'm basically asking for free advice here, Patrick. <laughs> and I look back at my nine years' experience in business, and I've so much stories and events that have unfolded for me that I want to start writing about on my Twitter account. Does it, I feel like the answer to this is pretty straightforward, but I'll ask anyway. Uh, so should I write my whole story out in chronological order first outside of Twitter and then feed tw the Twitter audience snippets from that? Or can I get more creative with it since I'm, let's say I've already outlined all the points that have made pivots in my life and over the nine years and the experience. Does that make sense? Um, my answer will obviate whether it makes sense or not. Well, I'll tell you what I would do. So I would definitely create like an overall timeline, right? But then you can subdivide that timeline into different themes. So I have, for instance, I, I have a story of my life that's a romantic story. It's a story of all the people that I was romantically involved with, my kind of uh, the, the person that I've, the man that I've turned into, the kind of people that I'm attracted to nowadays in terms of that area of my life. So that's one area of my life. And I can definitely 
structure all those story beats into something compelling once I write them all down and know what they are. <clears throat> and then there's work. And you heard a lot of that on this call, right? I went from an assistant to being in Hollywood to writing scripts to writing good ones to, you know, what happened in Africa to where I am now. And that's a different story. Like it's a different realm. And probably there's other realms as well, like the realm of um, health. Like, for instance, I had a terrible disease many, many years ago that I cured myself of kind of by being my own doctor and reading books and trying to figure that out. And so that's another, that's another realm. And so these are things that Dan Coe would call content pillars, but I, I don't like that. I think that's a little antiseptic. I would prefer to say storytelling realms. So first I would make just a chronological order of the events in your life that you think are compelling, right? Like on this day I was born, <laughs> you know, and then go through to the present day and you can always fill them out later. Like you're going to think of stuff. It's so, you're going to think of stuff, right? That stuff will come up. You're like, Oh, that, that story, you know, like for me, it's like, Oh, it's the time my friends and I were on a mountain and we were all tripping on psychedelic mushrooms and the cops came and we couldn't get off the mountain because all of our hands had cactuses stuck to them because we didn't know that the cactuses sensed body heat. That was scary. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I guess the short answer is start with uh, the meta story, hip to tail, and then start to break out different content pillars, so to speak, or realms, storytelling realms and then find the most compelling beats in those stories, turn those into hero's journeys, and then keeping that order in mind, start to deliver pieces of each of those stories. Does that make sense? Appreciate that, Patrick. Yeah, uh, I've written that down. Uh, I like the story realms uh, concept, if, if that's what it is and having these different themes. So there's definitely the good, the bad, and ugly in the timeline. So I can definitely utilize that in different themes and genres. Uh, since we're coming towards an end, I should go on, Gustas. Hello. Hi, Patrick. I have a question to you as well, since I remember before you mentioning that you are dabbled and experienced in branding as well. So from your experience and just your point of view, what do you think is like uh, the most powerful or best way of uh, kind of like storytelling or story like story building of your brand that you can like build your brand with like as in you know set like an end goal and show everyone how you get there or just like tell them you're going to go there and then show them how you like you know you go there or something like that i'm just curious what would be uh, your take on this if you understand my question i think i do so if you have like $7 million in the bank that you made with your Bitcoin or whatever it is, you can say, I am the guy who did that. And that's pretty compelling. A lot of people are going to be interested in that. But if you haven't done that yet, you say something more along the lines of, join me on my journey to $7 million of Bitcoin. Like you, you put in that goal and that's, 
that's interesting. That's a hook. People want to join you on that journey. But what I notice a lot of people doing is their sort of end goals are vague or they're pretending to be experts where they're not experts. Like you can very easily tell if somebody is an expert or not. And there's a lot of faux experts on Twitter because it's very easy to, you know, make a banner, make a bio and present yourself as I'm the number one productivity expert. But really, are you like, what have you done in the world that has boosted other people's productivity? So I would say the first thing you want to maintain is integrity. And to do that, if you're not the expert that you want to be yet, or you're not at the success level that you want to be yet, say, join me on my journey. Um, and then beyond that, I would say that people love the zero to one. The zero to one brand story, the origin story is very compelling. You know, like I actually talked with uh, uh, someone a few weeks ago and he lost he made $1.8 million in crypto and then lost it all through a scam. And I thought that was a very interesting hook because he's saying I was smart enough to get this outcome, but I was also, I was able to lose it all. And I'm humble enough to tell you the audience that I lost it all. Um, but he added in that he was an unhappy person. And now do the lesson that he learned with this grand mistake that he made, like it is helping him build his new persona, which you are seeing now. So to me, I thought that was a very interesting twist on the origin story. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, yeah. Easy, easy and good way to, you know, resonate with your audience and, build, you know, take them along on the journey. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. Just giving anyone a last minute chance to ask any questions if they have any. No. Okay. So, Patrick, do you wanna do you have any ending remarks? Anything before I close up the episode? Is there any advice you want to give or uh, anything you want to share? Where can people stay in touch with you? And I know you have a newsletter. I've linked it here, so people should definitely look at that for oh, yeah. storytelling tips. So I've been on the road a little bit. I am going to be rehabilitating a dead garden and turning it into a place that can grow food. And I would love it if uh, you guys checked out the pinned post that's underneath my profile and added what you think should be the next part of that story. Uh, it's a little old. It's probably about 12, 13 days old at this point. I should have written the next chapter by now, but I wanted to wait until this, this moment where other people would see it. Um, and yeah, what I'm basically trying to do is create a new paradigm for storytelling that is collaborative. So I'm interested if it works or not. And uh, yeah, I'd be curious to see what people think of this and if it's entertaining or interesting. So just drop your comments below it. And then beyond that, um, I would say chase your truth relentlessly and remember that you are the only one that has your internal compass of what that means and nobody else can say it for you. Um, and yeah, thank you. It was uh, an enjoyable. Thank you, V, and thank you, everybody who commented. Uh, 
very stimulating conversation. Thank you, Patrick. And I'll definitely uh, leave a comment under that post too. And I like this idea that you have of the collaborative storytelling. I think it's something fresh. And once people get the hang of it and understand how it comes together, they'll definitely understand the value. And I think people will start copying that too uh, in no time. I'm quite confident about that too. With that said, definitely uh, subscribe to his newsletter. Check out his pinned tweet. And I'm sure Patrick's DMs are always open. So reach out if you need anything and you have any questions on storytelling. He's the man. Yeah. I trust him more reach than Reach out. I love, uh, I love talking to people. I love uh, communicating with other travelers on the path. So, yeah. That, that's it. That's a, He's got 20 years of experience in Hollywood. These one-year-old storytellers on Twitter ain't got nothing on this guy. So be sure to reach out. Thank you again for joining on, me on here, uh, Patrick, and all the great insights you've shared with us. If you guys love this episode, quote, retweet. Tell us what you like most about it. My DMs are open, and I'm always looking forward to hear any feedback you guys have on how you want these episodes structured and who you want to see as the guest, as the next guest. Keep your eyes peeled. I have two interesting guests coming up next. And until then, take care, everyone.